you really have nothing better to do with your life than listen to me talk to behaviour experts about dogs, then this is your kind of show. Sit yourself down, eardrums at the ready, we're going in. Hello everyone, welcome to Just Shaying. This week my special guest is Terry Hayward. Uh, Terry lives in the Caribbean, 4,000 miles away from my house. And a little known fact, every mile towards the UK drops in temperature by one degree. Oh, that's what it feels like. Uh, Terry has a master's degree. Uh, she is faculty member of the Karen Pryor Academy, KPA certified training, training partner, certified professional dog trainer through the Council of Professional Dog Trainers, certified in canine separation anxiety, certified dog behavior consultant with the International Association of Animal Behaviour Consultants. I'm out of breath just saying all that. She's a member <laughs> of the Pet Professional Guild. She's written articles for Barks Magazine, Pet Business and Grooming Business Magazine, and author of three books. They are the deaf, A Deaf Dog Joins the Family, Grooming Without Stress, Safer, Quicker, Happier, and your 10 minute a day dog and because you don't already have enough to do you also present workshops thanks for joining us terry how are you oh good to, good to be here thank you yeah i was i was tired just listening to you re, re, reiterate all of that <laughs> I, I, wasn't yeah. ex, I wasn't expecting to get out of breath yeah <laughs> good sure, job surely dogs in the caribbean don't need training do they, they just walk along uh-huh. the beach chilling all day don't they well, I do have to say that is where we're headed with my dog after our conversation is to take her down for the for a beach walk. Yes. <laughs> now you just made us all even more jealous. <laughs> well, they are pretty beaches here, so yeah. Uh, because we're we're not um, video, I can't show you, but uh, trust me when I say that the water is blue and the sand is white. <laughs> Sounds absolutely lovely. Now you wrote ten minutes, uh, ten minute a day dog. Is yep. what I'd first like to ask you about. What does that mean? Because most people would look at that and they might say, well, dogs are dogs for 24 hours a day. <laughs> the goal of the book was to help people understand that, uh, you know, we all live busy lives. We're all always on social media, et cetera. And that everybody, uh, you know, even if you cut out just that one extra check of Facebook, for example, would have 10 minutes in their day to work with their dog. And it's about quality. Uh, and so if we were to dedicate that 10 minute allotment of time uh, to specific behaviors that we engage in and teach uh, and communicate uh, with, with our dogs, that people would then find that reinforcing and it would likely lead to more than 10 minutes. But even if you've only got that 10 minutes, you can really zero in and use that time wisely to be very effective. Yeah, so it's getting them to be more likely to do it. And and it's actually one of the one of the things I included in the enrichment group in the enrichment book that I wrote was a was a chapter on for, for people who say they haven't got time. And it's just about putting a few minutes in here, there and everywhere. So I get that 100%. side of it completely. Now yep. we're gonna go, we're gonna go straight to expert in the room, which is part of the show where you answer questions on your particular expertise or special interests and see how that can help people uh, who need that help. Uh, so Excellent. you wrote Deaf Dog Joins the Family. Yes. Uh, it's got very good reviews. I've done my research. This, this, this podcast don't just happen, you know. I've been researching <laughs> for at least 15 minutes. Uh, but 
but you know how there's always someone who wants to steal your joy and leave leave a negative review. And but I, and I had a look at yours. It's a funny thing to bring up, but somebody said too much positive BS, and I just thought I just thought that's the best negative review ever. <laughs> I hadn't seen that one. So thank you for sharing. Uh, my husband and I used to own a, a, a hotel and TripAdvisor. While we were number one on TripAdvisor for five years, I had a lot of gray hair with all of those reviews. So uh, yeah, but that was a good one. I appreciate that one. <laughs> you, have, you have to stop reading them after a while. Yes. <laughs> uh, my, my, everybody gets, it doesn't matter how many good reviews you get, you can look at any book out there from really, really well-known authors and there'll be a few um, really bad reviews because that's just what some people go around doing and my yeah. own book uh, one of my own books got a comment that said uh, I'd be ashamed to have published it wow <laughs> I, I just wish my mum wouldn't be so critical you know <laughs> he hasn't even got a dog so so but for, for guardians of deaf dogs what advice could you give them what what tips have you got for for living with a deaf dog. Yeah, well, um, I actually just came out with a course that speaks in volumes to that question, but I'll give you the, the soundbite answer. Uh, the course is um, on my website, Positive Animal Wellness under courses, um, because again, I felt like the book was good, but we needed to take it further. And so this mm -hmm. really walks people through sort of all the things, but basically, um, you know, the dog is a dog first. And I think it's really like in, in any type of training, it's for the loop end of the leash because it's just people really needing to kind of get used to communicating with their dog using a, another means that's not verbal communication. Um, so for a deaf dog, the very first thing you wanna do is really foster check-ins. Yeah. Anytime that dog is looking at you, you wanna mark and reinforce that behavior. And I use a visual marker. I just, I just showed you that shape, but your listeners can't see it, but it's kind of like a hand flash. Some people use a thumbs up or the ASL, American Sign Language, sign for yes. Really anything consistent that you want to use as a marker and pair it with a reinforcer will work. Um, so once you've got those check-ins and you've got a communication system via a marker and a reinforcer, then you're good to go. Yeah, my mine was um, I. I never had a deaf dog, but I I tend to use a lot of body language anyway, rather than verbal mm -hmm. cues. It's just the way I've always sort of preferred to do it. So we used to have a sort yep. of silent recall where it was, it was a bit more obvious than yours because it was both my arms out to, to both sides of me, like fully stretched out, a bit, bit like a star jump, really. But it came in very, very handy as she was, uh, this was my, my old German shepherd, came in very, very handy as she was getting older because uh, I could just hold my arms out and she'd know to come back to me. I wanted her to move towards me. And it, I think even now with my other dogs, it, it, it's, it's handy to have a silent um, recall even if your dog can hear, isn't it? And then people don't necessarily even know you're calling the dog away from them, or you can just give them a, a subtle cue. And, yeah. it's and it's amazing what they pick up on as well. 
Yeah, and that's one of the things I talk about too with, with folks with deaf dogs is that um, people think it's going to be hard, but all dogs are reading body language and experts at that. Speaking of expert in the room, you know, dogs, deaf dogs, as well as any, any animal is really focusing on the body language. And oftentimes if we were to give a verbal cue, you know, you see people uh, lifting their hand up and saying, sit, really, if we were to test yeah. the relevance, they're probably responding to the visual anyways. And um Oh, another thing that you mentioned uh, about having visual cues incorporated into your repertoire is like you said, what if your dog at some point loses their hearing, maybe because of um, decline with age or some other reason, then you've sort of already got some of those communication tools on board, which could help to reduce uh, stress for your for yourself and for your animal. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm even wondering if you wouldn't even notice for quite a while that your dog is going deaf because you're using... You're using cues that you don't even realise you're using, like like you say, raising your hand as you say, uh, sit or uh, just as, just as we do in everyday language, really. And the dog's picking up on that, uh, and yep. pr probably more so than your speech because it means more to them, doesn't it? Exactly. And they're probably having some coping mechanisms in there too. So like you say, you may not even realize initially. In fact, when I first um, adopted Blanca, well, we were fostering her uh, at the beginning and um, I didn't know she was deaf. So I went over there with my treat pouch and my trusty clicker. And of course she was responding to the bag of hot dogs on my hip and mm. my hand motions. And like you say, it, it took a, a few minutes for us to realize that she wasn't hearing and that was more because she wasn't responding to the cries of her puppies or to people approaching her uh, when she was sleeping uh, that kind of cued us in. Do you, do you find any particular problems with deaf dogs that people need to look out for? Um, for me, I'm, I'm a big safety girl. So I think, um, and certainly you can, like you were talking about a recall, you can definitely mm. cha chain a visual recall. Um, I, I like to, well, with any dog, um, recalls often are not um, sort of a 99% thing that folks have gone on to teach. And so if we've got a deaf dog and it's not a fenced in area, then, you know, I, I would really caution to make sure that you do have that recall in place. And even then, like I say, I'm, I'm happy with a fenced space or, or a long line, um, which you can practice lots of things, get plenty of enrichment that way as well. But otherwise, um, I think uh, just being very cognizant of your emotions. Um, like you said, a lot of times we're talking with our hands and we're not even aware that we might be communicating things or sort of muddying up that communication. So being very uh, specific about our gestures when we're dealing with deaf dogs is, is a good idea too. Any dog, really. Do you, just so you, your own dog's deaf, is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And do mm -hmm. you have you found any difference in... in in their ability to communicate with other dogs through this? Or, or would you say it makes absolutely no difference at all and another dog would not even know there's anything going on, anything different about your dog? Yeah, I mean, sometimes that question comes up, especially if people have um, added a deaf dog to their family and mm. they have hearing dogs and um, the, the query really is around the deaf dog not taking in those verbal cues like, hey, I've told you enough uh, when they're kind of uh, um, maybe playing. Um, so I think it's really important for the humans 
to be monitoring the situation. Maybe play uh, Terry Ryan's three banana game, you know, where you go one banana, two banana, three. Okay, and we're gonna, we're gonna move everybody apart. Maybe lure them apart with food in a positive way uh, before we go at it again. So really making sure that the playtime is structured in such a way that, um, you know, eventually if it goes on, on and on, it's probably gonna devolve at some point. So uh, landing on a positive note, teaching some incompatible behaviors like settle on a mat and the recall so that you can appropriately um, uh, curate the interaction such that it sets everybody up for success. Yeah, so it doesn't, it, do, it doesn't really have to be too debilitating for a dog, does it? It's not, it's not, um, my, my grandparents were both deaf their whole lives. And uh, oh, wow. obviously it's a much bigger, I, I often I often think of with today's technology, it wouldn't have been such a big um, it wouldn't have been such a big problem for them as it you know as it was then when they were alive because you've got all the right. modern technology and they're texting each other and it would have been so so much easier to communicate and yeah so yeah one of yeah. your other areas um, Terry of uh, special interest is grooming. And so you wrote grooming with, like, <laughs> I've got I've got notes on my screen here. I keep I keep uh, wanting to read it wrong. Grooming, grooming without, without stress. stress. I keep what my brain wants to say. Grooming without success. Well, that doesn't work at all. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't have wrote that. Grooming well, without stress. So one of the ways I can think of is just to get somebody else to do it. But I'm I'm sure you've got some better tips. Yeah, so a colleague of mine, Jay Anders, had had approached me, and um, my sister is actually uh, she was on Groom Team USA, which was the top ten groomers in the states, and then oh, wow. she now she's now a judge. But Anne had uh, my sister's name is Anne. She's one of the co-authors on the book, and she had um, won a, a big competition in the grooming world. And Jay reached out to me and said, Jay's a master groomer as well as a Karen Pryor Academy certified training partner too. And he said, Hey, you know, I think we should do something and maybe the three of us could collaborate. And so really that's where the idea came from. And I was already really interested in doing a lot of collaborative husbandry with dogs. Um, mm. So this just sort of formalized a lot of the behaviors that um, we were hoping to, to be able to teach and learn and, uh, and talk about. And then I, before COVID was presenting uh, at a lot of grooming conferences, um, which was kind of a new topic for a lot of folks there, I think, because uh, many of the speakers were talking about specific haircuts, but there wasn't a lot of behavior. And so I think it's nice that um, we were able to sort of move a bit into the behavior realm because just like veterinary visits, you know, grooming also is a, a frequent occurrence in, in the dog's life and something that we want them to feel comfortable with. Yeah, that's, that sounds like pretty full-on grooming, um, what you're doing yeah. there. But yeah. what about people at home who are, who are doing it themselves and uh, what what is the main thing for them to, to be successful in, in grooming um, without stressing the dog? Yep. In the book, we also put together a lot of little templates, which um, as a trainer, folks would know, um, you know, we're always going to veer from that. But again, if it would, yeah. it was set out so that somebody could sort of take this idea and, and give them an idea, give them an idea of how to walk through approximating steps without lumping uh, splitting the criteria down. So things like helping the dog to feel comfortable getting a bath, 
um, helping dogs feel comfortable trimming their nails and getting brushed, um, checking, checking ears. We would teach things like a collaborative chin rest and again, um, uh, fluency around pause. I'm actually uh, working on um, uh, a webinar with um, Ryan Cartledge in New Zealand of uh, Animal Trainer Academy, ATA. And one of the behaviors we're gonna be working on with a deaf dog, but then combining this collaborative care is, is an open mouth behavior. Um, Cause sometimes the vet needs to look inside or the groomer might, you know, for tooth brushing. And uh, so anytime we can involve choice in the equation, uh, it's primary reinforcer. So works out better for all around. Yeah, I think that's one of the ones I've seen um, Shirag doing for vet behaviours. Is yeah. the is the opening the mouth one? It looks it's not one yeah. I've uh, I've ever worked on much. Yeah, uh, I'll, have, I'll have to have a go at that one. So for yeah, a lot yeah. of them, really, it's about not overloading, isn't it? And and you, I suppose, when you start out, you've got uh, you know someone at home trying to trim up their own dog. They've got this idea in mind that you know it's going to take them half an hour, and the dog's going <laughs> to. It looked like a show dog at the end of it, but it, it doesn't uh, quite. It doesn't quite go that way. I found out myself actually. It was um, <laughs> what do you know? It turns out there's some skill to grooming, and uh, oh, definitely. Uh, my West, you never liked going to the groomers. She'd uh, she'd come back and she wasn't quite the same. That, you know, that afternoon, whenever she went, and so I started doing it myself as she got older. But yeah, it turns out there's a there's a lot of skill involved. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And at the grooming shows, you would, that would, they would certainly showcase the, 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 the skills that are involved. Um, my dogs have always been what my sister referred to as wash and wear. <laughs> so they didn't need any of the um, more elaborate haircuts based on their, their fur type. But um, like we were saying, even folks at home um, who want to be able to manage care in terms of nails, which, you know, now um, Lucky Tail Dremel is, and I can send you that link. I have a, an affiliate link for them, but I really, really like the tool. It's quiet. It has low vibration. Mm -hmm. So I found that really great in terms of desensitizing and counter conditioning dogs to, um, to be fine with nail care. Uh, like we were saying, a chin rest or targeting of a, a, another body part, like a belly lying down. Um, so you could look at ears or, or do some brushing. And um, um, uh, in terms of grooming, um, again, brushing, uh, uh, nail care and shampoos. A lot of times dogs may have had a previous averse experience with having a bath. Mm. So just breaking that down into small steps whereby, hey, it's so fun to go in the tub because there's peanut butter on the wall <laughs> and, uh, and not starting with water at all, just uh, uh, collaboratively getting in and out and maybe putting the appropriate substrate down so it's not slippery. You know, antecedent arrangement can play such a big part in setting everybody up um, to be successful. Yeah, and actually everyone tries to do it in a bath. Uh, like when, when a dog suddenly needs a bath or they've gone through smelly, stinky, stale water or something like that. And everyone yeah. tries to do it in the bath. But I've personally, I found that it's actually easier to do it outside in the garden and, and have like a, a big watering can or something. Like obviously you haven't had um, chemicals in that you just keep for that and actually use that outside. And it's a lot, it's a lot easier on the dog because a lot of them aren't going to like the surface of a bath straight away yeah. or all the weirdness of going in the bath and if they've associated yeah. it with a bad experience in the past you're, you're onto a loser straight away because before you even go near water they want to get out yeah yeah 
I mean, where I live, uh, you can see behind me, this is, this is open. So we definitely do our baths outside, but then, um, like where Jay, uh, the co-author of the book lives, uh, he's in New York city. So, and a lot of people live in apartments, so kind of mm -hmm. their bathtub is, is the option. Um, so addressing, uh, you know, like you say, different variable situations and how, how to approach them depending on what you've got available to you. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and obviously starting young is going to make it a lot easier, isn't it? Yeah. Certainly, if we can have, you know, as part of like Dr. Sophia Yin, uh, you know, still sometimes we'll refer back to her checklist, puppy checklist um, on husbandry kind of things, because if we can start, you know, like say during the socialization period and having dogs to feel more comfortable with aspects of grooming, uh, then it just can be an advantage for everybody for the rest of their lives. So, yeah, I think, um, I think people, one of the things I see is that people leave it until the dog really needs the groomers and are in a not the best condition rather than going earlier when it's much easier on the dog and there's a lot less to do and they can get used to get used to going. So that certainly helps as well. I've actually got a question this week. This is the first time I've had a question. It's very exciting from, from a listener because <laughs> I've, I've, uh, I put it online and asked for uh, any, any questions. And I said what your interests were and your special, specialities. And uh, Christina Santana Smith has said, what are the key questions to ask stroke things to look out for stroke red flags to find a good groomer? Mm. Well, um, I actually, it's a good question. Thank you, Christina. I actually wrote the course for fear-free on grooming. So um, I would recommend checking with the groomer and see if they might be fear-free certified. It's a global certification and we've got people all around the world who are certified now. And what that means is the groomer then would understand concepts of desensitization, going at the pace that the animal dictates they're comfortable with via reading their appropriate body language responses and counter conditioning, you know, pairing the experience with something that the dog finds pleasant um, versus flooding and just rushing ahead, even though the dog is clearly saying, uh, this is not for me right now. Um, so if you could locate someone who was fear-free certified, that would be my first preference. And if they weren't fear-free certified, if they, again, um, were familiar with the concepts that I just mentioned, like, uh, well, you know, do you ever uh, use food and how would you help my dog to feel more comfortable with, uh, you know, nail trims? And what if my dog mm. was not comfortable? Would you be amenable to a meat and treat? That's another Jay, Jay Anders term coined there, but, uh, you know, where you would just go in and visit and have yummy chicken and uh, to help the dog sort of feel more comfortable mm. in the environment. We have um, a new vet here uh, that I just became aware of and Blanca and I did that last week. We just went for a meet and treat and we'll probably do it a few more times just to kind of ease our way in. And so your other area of um, expertise, I noticed that you're certified canine separation anxiety trainer. And I just I wanted to ask you how you get on with that sort of area, really, because I've got I've got friends in the industry that won't even take cases of separation anxiety because um, not because they don't feel confident, but because it's such a difficult thing to turn around and and get in the 
Guardian compliance, not that they don't want to comply, but the difficulty of, of what you've got to do to, to, to work through it. So I wondered how uh, you get on with those sort of cases. Yeah, um, I actually find, uh, which is, like you say, sometimes surprising for folks that uh, most of the clients that I work with are very compliant. I think that by the time they get to this point, um, and someone just used this uh, this phrase the other day, they almost feel like a prisoner in their home because, mm. you know, they're really trapped. Um, if they go out and leave their dog, uh, they may come home to destruction, elimination, uh, angry neighbors, barking, etc. And a lot of them, too, have tried a lot of things on their own without a lot of success. So, um, normally, I do a 30-minute consult where I sort of outline the desensitization protocol that I would work with that, with them. I try to be very transparent um, about the fact that well, any behavior modification is not a quick fix, but that this mm -hmm. will be slow. And at the beginning, it will feel sort of akin to watching paint dry on the wall. Um, but that building that base is the hardest part. And that um, we'll be breaking down things into tiny, tiny approximations. And I was just sharing with someone recently that I have a couple of clients that are up into the multiple hours range, meaning um, now when they do their, their, we call them missions, their, um, their exercises that they do each day. Um, we, we call them missions because it sounds less aversive to the humans than saying you have homework. You know, if you say you have a mission, it's like uh, you've got yeah. a, a superhero cape, cape there. So try to make <laughs> like it that. fun wherever possible. Uh, but they're multi-hour missions. So I'll say like, okay, you need, you need to do something for two or three hours today. What could you do in that period of time? And I just had, uh, had a client the other day and saying, oh, I don't know. What could I do? And I said, no, let's think back. Remember at the beginning when you were just at seconds and you thought, wow, what a great problem to have. If I need to figure out what I can do in, you know, two hours. And they were like, yes, yes, that's true. That's true. So, um, you know, I've got people on all, all ends of the spectrum, but it's usually a um, combination of behavior modification plus medication. So um, I work with several veterinarians who specialize in behavior or are veterinary behaviorists and um, we often share clients which is another way to to really ensure that um, that we're going to most likely be successful and yeah. uh, like any type of training it's patience and consistency over time but again i've found that the bank's clients are, are very very dedicated yeah, it's just it i think the most common problems you see in people looking after dogs is things like um, recall and pulling on the lead. But mm -hmm. the, the one that's probably one of the worst problems is the separation anxiety, just for, for what it does and the problems it creates. And you've got people who need to go to work and, and they just can't do what they need to do. And it's just such yeah. a desperately difficult situation for some people and for the dogs. It's, it's heartbreaking sometimes, isn't it? Yeah, I have a, a client today who he's um, he's got to have surgery coming up. So he was doing a, a sleepover trial for his dog. His dog is staying at a friend's house and he's up to three and a half, four hours that he can depart now, um, mm. which allows him the freedom to do a lot of things. He's retired, but he, he can now go for walks and go to the grocery store and, you know, do pretty much anything that he needs to do. Go to his sister's house. 
Um, but this was the first time in two years that his dog hasn't been with him at home. And he was like, wow, I, this feels so bizarre. So um, that's not exactly related directly, but previously his dog would have been even stressed staying with a family member like that. So um, yeah, getting with separation anxiety clients too, I, uh, I work with them almost daily. And I think that's a little bit different. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, other clients, like you said, if you're working on leash, leash issues or um, et cetera, you know, oftentimes you might meet once a week, but separation anxiety clients, uh, we meet once a week, but we interact uh, via WhatsApp or we have a, a Google doc that we uh, communicate daily in and, and because you're watching uh, the departures in their home, you know, you, you, you develop quite a relationship with those clients. Yeah. And I, I think we're getting a lot more of it now as well. Um, certainly at low level separation anxiety because of all the lockdowns we've had over the last two years and people yeah. that would normally have been popping out to the shops and leaving their dogs for a few minutes and popping to the neighbors and all that didn't happen did it so all those dogs that was um, bought because we was at home and we could do it and it was a good time to bring them in it's uh, it's raised other issues hasn't it it has yeah we have had a lot of separation anxiety pandemic pups um, on the flip side, the COVID has been beneficial in that, like you said, people were oftentimes working for home and we mm. discovered a lot of options like uh, more delivery services for things which help in the suspension of absences piece. Um, because just like with any behavior, you don't want the dog to continue to practice the unwanted version while you're working the benefit, one of the benefits of the of the pandemic enabled us to have a lot of people have the flexibility oh, yeah. to be working from home. And so uh, suspending absences was, um, that was an advantage in that instance in that we also discovered a lot of options for delivery from food to everything else um, for, for folks that couldn't leave their dogs um, due to separation re related problems. Yeah, and, and who knew so many people would be able to work from home? Seems to become I know, a right? norm now. <laughs> this webcast is sponsored by... I'm only kidding, I haven't got a sponsor. But if you search Shay Kelly on Amazon, you'll see my books. You can buy them if you want. My mum says they're really good. We're going, Terry, we're going to part of the show, which I call Enrichment Corner. And this is something we bring up on uh, every podcast is uh, my area of uh, interest. One of my areas of interest is uh, enrichment. And uh, we're in a large uh, canine enrichment group on Facebook. And um, so I wanted to ask you, uh, as I ask everybody, what you, uh, what you do for enriching your own dog's life, really, and you know, what, what enrichment means to you. Yeah, well, that's a good question. And I like that you run the group on Facebook. I think we can always all um, endeavor to find more options for keeping our, the animals that are uh, share, we share our homes with enriched. Um, my dog particularly likes to sand swim. Um, so uh, she really gets into it. She'll uh, throw her snout under the sand and wriggle all around and essentially just really drive that sand all into her coat so that then when we get in the car afterwards, we bring half the beach with us. Um, we also uh, are specifically planting a patch of grass because she also enjoys grass swimming. <laughs> so uh, 
our our house sort of was catered around uh, planting this area for our dog <laughs> so she could do her grass swimming. Um, but yeah, we try to take her for rides, uh, you know, out and about whenever possible. Um, we live in a warm place, so a lot of places are open air and outside. So whenever she's able to join, uh, I, I like to include her because I know that, you know, staying home all day is not as exciting mm. as uh, she's got no Netflix or, uh, or, you know, Amazon Prime to be ordering from, et cetera. So um, Really nice to have all those beaches on your doorstep, isn't it? So I haven't. I ha <laughs> I'm not near a beach, but we we took the dogs on holiday about six months ago, and uh, down to a beach, and it was just it's first time we've been to the beach with them, and uh, they just absolutely loved it. It's, could couldn't persuade Mister B to swim in the sea. He was a bit. He was a bit. He was a bit wary of that. But but I just if if you lived there, you'd be there every day. We, you know, I also use food puzzles for mealtime and we try to keep, um, keep, keep, you know, food as part of our enrichment plan. Um, and, uh, you know, again, any, any types of things that we can do to change things up, make them more exciting. So, um, yeah, <laughs> that's one of the cornerstones as Ken Ramirez says of a good animal welfare plan is, uh, enrichment and training being one of those pillars so yeah i mean it's 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 um well ken would know from his background but it's it's changed a lot for us in the dog world in that it wasn't a big thing until about five years ago and then it's suddenly and there's, there's still not that much research on it um you know the different types of enrichment and mm -hmm. that but it's a it's a big new area really which has obviously come from the zoo side of things uh, so it's uh just right. fa fascinating now uh, uh, how much it has caught on and how people are now interested in it because like I, I said to the point of boring people I think I've probably said this on every episode so far but I forgot what I was going to say I said it on every episode and I forgot what I was going to say um, <laughs> yeah I was, I was gonna I was gonna say that you don't enrichment you don't really um get many workshops or seminars or, or anything where it doesn't come up as a topic. It's, it's, it's absolutely everywhere now. So that's really good. Yeah. So we're going to a good part of the show now. Yeah. What's your beef? And this is where you get to give us your pet peeve about the industry. Something you're not happy with in the industry and uh, well, we won't put it right, but we'll hear about it. <laughs> that's a question that I haven't thought about. Um, pet peeve with the industry? Well, uh, I think like any, uh, any industry, you know, um, sometimes I don't know if it's um, um, insecurity or, uh, but, you know, folks not wanting to collaborate, share, get along. Um, I figure at this point in, in my life, uh, if there's drama, keep it someplace else. So um you know, and also as positive reinforcement trainers, we kind of want to walk the walk. So we want that to be uh, extending down the leash to our, our, or up the leash rather to our human learners too. Um, but uh, I have a Facebook group called Deaf Dogs Behavior and Training. And, um, and we sort of have a, a one strike and you're out. So, you know, if people want to come and, and, and not be, and not play nice with others, then they need to go do that someplace else. Um, 
So I figure, you know, we, we need to, and I can't remember if I said this before or after, but walk the walk, talk the talk. We're positive reinforcement trainers. We want to be kind to the people on the, on the going up the leash too, to the humans too. That's interesting, isn't it? Uh, Yeah. And it's the same in my Facebook group. There's just so many people in there that I did have to bring in a rule of no derogatory comments. It's very difficult because then people start to say, oh, they was kicked out of this group just for nothing. And, and it's, it's so difficult to, to keep the group civilised and, and not be not, not civilised, but not have these constant arguments that you get all over Facebook, because that's, that's not what I'm spending my life doing, reading all that rubbish. I've got exactly. enough to be getting, you know, the group takes enough of my time without having to deal with all that constantly. But it, yeah. it's 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 sometimes a difficult balance to get without sort of coming across too authoritarian and you know you're not allowed to do this 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 and this so so it's quite difficult in that way. But um, yeah, a couple of weeks ago we had uh, Annie Phoenix on with Denise O'More on on the podcast and she was talking about collaboration then. So that was quite interesting. And her new book that she's uh, it's coming out later this year. She's, she's had a lot of people collaborate on that and write sections of it. And well, she sort of did interviews for it. So, that, so it's getting different expertise from different areas. And she was, she was really optimistic about the amount of collaboration and people working together. So there is that other side of it, if we want to oh, make use of sure. it. And, yeah. and myself, just the people that have come on this podcast in the last, you know, it's only been going, uh, but I think you're the sixth guest. Um, oh. It's just it's just amazing the the information you pick up on and the different perspectives and that, you know, there's all people giving this, giving their information for free and, and, and and collaborating and making the dog world a better place instead of sniping at each other constantly, which is so easy to get into. I'm not having to dig at anyone when I say that, because it is so easy to get into. We're going to the quick fire questions. What motivates you? Um, positive feedback. So when, uh, do I have to answer quick too? Just one quick line or I can keep going. It, uh, I, I found interviewing dog people that I never get a quick answer because they <laughs> they always want to expand on everything. But <laughs> yeah, we've got lots of time. Yeah. So positive reinforcement, we know the science behind it. We know it works. And so, yeah, absolutely. Uh, positive feedback is motivating for sure. Uh, even, even like you said, when someone tried to come up with a derogatory amount of feedback, I actually found that quite positive. I had too much positive BS in my, in my book. <laughs> That's great. What would people be surprised to know about you? Um, let's see. Well, I don't know about surprised because maybe people have heard a lot of, no, that's, it's probably not a surprise. I've, I talk about it a lot in presentations, but I lived in the jungle in Papua New Guinea for a couple of years. And, you just surprised um, me. Okay. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. The whole bathe in the stream, uh, live in a hut, uh, cook with fire. My husband and I were Peace Corps volunteers and uh, we lived in the largest last remaining tract of lowland rainforest in the southern hemisphere called the Lakakamo Basin. And wow. uh, consequently, we also speak talk Pisin, which is kind of cool because we have like a secret language. So, well, I went to Wales once for a weekend. <laughs> <laughs> very similar, <laughs> very similar. <laughs> exactly. 
what's your favorite book? Oh, favorite book. Um, you know, the one that's coming to mind the easiest is Karen Pryor's Don't Shoot the Dog. And in fact, I have a, a student because um, I'm a Karen Pryor Academy faculty member. And this student, um, they need to teach uh, one of the exercises they need to teach the dog to target with two different body parts. So obviously the most frequent ones are the nose and the paw, but she was having her dog target the book, the, the, the book, don't shoot the dog. And I thought it was such a cute video. I mean, she could have oh, obviously brilliant. chosen any, any pop, but it was really cute. Yeah. Right. Isn't it amazing how that book must be, I don't know the date of it, but it's, it's over 30 years old now and it's still coming yeah. up as people's favorite book. Still uh, relevant. Uh, yeah. And that and the culture clash always comes up as the books that changed people's thinking. There's such a big influence in the yeah. dog world. What's your favorite word? Absolutely. I probably say that a lot. So uh, I like to affirm things <laughs> with enthusiasm. So absolutely. That would be my favorite word. <laughs> Have you got a favorite breed of dog? Uh, I kind of like, it's not a breed, but I kind of like the pity style. Mm. So, you know, a blocky head turns my eye. <laughs> Who do you most admire in the dog world? Oh, you know, there are so many people. You got to choose that. one. I know the pressure's on. I was going to say, um, I can only choose one. Can I choose yeah. two? <laughs> no. uh. Yeah, go on then. All right. We can well, break the um, rules. All right. Well, I was going to say, Ken Ramirez first. He's the director of education training for KPA. But, um, you know, he's always so personable and friendly and kind and knowledgeable. And he has great stories that are so relatable. So I'll mm. leave it at that. Yeah. So Ken is super. So the, oh, the other one's lost out now because he was going to go for two. No, well, now I can't say it because now we said the other one lost out. So... <laughs> <laughs> Then that would be terrible. So I have to leave it now. What's, what's the last thing you searched for on Google? We've got all the highbrow questions on this show. Shoot. Um, what's the last thing I searched for? I feel like I have to check my um, my Google search thing here. It might have been time zones. Uh, <laughs> I was looking for, well, I was looking for, um, uh, I know, a hotel because I'm going to be teaching in Texas in uh, the end of the month and I have an Airbnb for the most of the time but my flight is really early in the morning and so I'm going to stay the last night at a hotel by the airport so that I can return the rental car and get there and I, that's the one piece of my itinerary I have not organized yet so searching oh. for that hotel. Well, I wasn't expecting that to be useful to the dog industry but now we know <laughs> now we know you're you're going to Texas to do a presentation <laughs> right right Rounding things up, uh, where can people find out more about you? So Positive Animal Wellness is my website. Uh, positiveanimalwellness at gmail.com is my email. Uh, I'm on, um, on Instagram at Positive Animal Wellness. Uh, Facebook, same thing. I also, like I mentioned, have the Deaf Dog Facebook group, Deaf Dogs Behavior and Training. And again, my new course, um, on deaf dogs it's on my website uh so yeah i think i think that's where folks can find me cool. unless they want to come in person to visit in the caribbean then that's an option too that'd be nice <laughs> this is your last question terry 
Okay. It's really easy. Oh, I'm nervous. <laughs> how can we make the world a better place? Oh, well, that kind of dovetails with my with my beef. We just have to be kind, like like a famous person, Ellen says. But uh, just you know, see if you can do a small thing to uh, make somebody's day brighter, and that's it. Uh, after the hurricane, uh, we were in Puerto Rico for Hurricane Maria, which was really significant. And yeah. I had several friends that, um, you know, so many people helped with so many things, but several friends that um, uh, found um, or got people to donate gift cards, like for Home Depot, or there were pet store ones, et cetera, et cetera. And she brought them down to me. And then um, we were just giving them out. I mean, we gave them out to some specific individuals, but then just random people, because everybody and anybody needed help after the storm. And it was really fun to see like how appreciative, just, you know, doing a random act of kindness, um, made people feel so, or how appreciative they were, how happy they were. So, um, you know, anytime you could randomly do some kind of little act of kindness like that, I think that could make the world a better place. Could turn somebody's day around. <laughs> Absolutely. Nice to be able to make a difference. And that's what I always aim for yeah. is to make a difference in whatever I do. Yeah. And so thanks, Terry. And so Thank it's, it's the end of another installment of the world's greatest ever podcast to be produced in my kitchen. Thanks so much to my guest, Terry Hayward. I hope you enjoyed listening. If you didn't enjoy listening, I guess you've already gone without saying goodbye. Bit rude. Tune in next time when I'll be talking to another great dog behaviour expert. Be good to your dog. Goodbye. Thank you all so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, click the follow button and share with others. If you didn't enjoy the show, write a strongly worded letter. Not to me, obviously. I'm busy. <laughs> <laughs>